Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. Break it, you know. So we are in Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, I'm calling today's study Perfect Yet Being Made Holy. And you'll see what I mean as we get into this further. But it's one of the many key lessons that we'll learn in today's text. Uh, and the particular verse that I would zero in on when we get there, we'll get more into it, is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, that says, By one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So the fact of the matter is, he's perfected us forever. Anybody feel perfect? Yeah. Well, the Christian is complete. That's really what that word means. In Christ, we are complete, and we're saved. In God's eyes, we're saved. Yet there's still spiritual progress to be made. Would you agree with me that you're not a finished product yet? It's weird. Finished but not finished. Complete but not complete. And that's the, the, the battle. And too many people look at one side or the other rather than seeing the balance that we're going to look at today. So I want to just start right out with a couple of fill-ins so that you'll help you get this, okay? And here's the first one. The scriptures teach us that we are saved. We are saved. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. You have been saved. Maybe you've used that phrase, you've heard others say, I'm saved, hallelujah, it's good, it's a done deal. But the next one is we are being saved. The scriptures say that. We're being saved. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. So that means there's a process going on. We are all in process. We're saved, yet being saved. And then again in Romans 13, 11, it says that we will be saved. So we're saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. Let me read that one to you. Romans 13, 11. And do this knowing the, the time that now is high time to wake out of our sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I remember as a new Christian when I first read that, I thought, it's nearer. I thought it was here. It, salvation is coming. I thought it already came. It ain't over till it's over. When we get to heaven, it's totally complete. Right now we're complete, but in process. And I'll show you what we mean as we go through that. We're going to take a look at today a concept that uh, theologians call positional righteousness versus practical righteousness. Positional righteousness is how God declares you, you are righteous. He declares you righteous, yet practical righteousness or practical holiness, it's not quite showing yet. It's some, for some of us, it's kind of like 
a story of a homeless person who actually, he just uh, inherited millions of dollars and he doesn't know it yet. He's, he's out on the street. He's living like a homeless person, yet he's a millionaire and he doesn't even know it. That's how a lot of Christians live. In God's eyes, you are rich, you are complete. We need to learn who we are, our identity in Christ, and rise up to live like who we are and let our practical holiness match our positional holiness. That's just a taste. We'll go into it further. But one more time, Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Lord, I pray that you help us to get this. I know there's a lot of Christians who struggle and, and just feel so self-condemned because they're not everything they should be. And yet, Lord, help us to see the multifacets of this truth that we are complete in you, that we are saved, yet we're in process that we're being saved, and yet the total salvation is yet to come. Lord, help us to understand it, grasp it, live by it, and be encouraged by this message today as we look at your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. I'll make sure you're awake. Okay, listen. Last week, we looked at a a conversation between God the Father and God the Son in verses 5 through 9. You could go back and maybe in your growth groups you'll read over it more carefully. But it was actually a quote from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. And it was a prophetic look at the incarnation and mission of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine that? Thousands of years before it happened, David gave a prophecy, wrote it in a song, and it, it was actually a conversation between the Father and the Son. Let me read it to you uh, from Hebrews, and I'm going to read it to you like I often like to read from the New Living Translation. I love that translation. It, it, it flows. Listen to this. Hebrews 10, 5. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you've given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. And then I said, look, I've come to do your will, O God. This is the Son speaking to the Father. As it is written about me in scriptures, verse 8, first, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to establish the second. We've been talking a lot about this in Hebrews, how the new covenant fulfills the old covenant. And we've looked at uh, just the whole big picture of this. Now, twice in this paragraph that I just read to you, it's, it says that the Holy Spirit states that he had no pleasure in those old covenant sacrifices. I want to make something clear here. It, it doesn't mean that those old covenant sacrifices were wrong or they should have been doing it. God commanded them to do it. Um, it but the, the thing is, it's worshipers received no benefit from sacrifices if they weren't right, if they didn't have the right attitude, if they weren't obeying God's law, they're just going through the motions. It doesn't mean anything if you're just going through the motions. It only means here, this, what we just read, is that God has no delight in sacrifices apart from obedient hearts of the worshipers. You know, that didn't, didn't Paul write that in 1 Corinthians? He says, if I, give my whole, if I give my body to be burned and give everything I have to the poor, and he goes on and on, all these things I can do if I have not love. It profits me nothing. 
So what matters is your heart condition before God, not just going through the motions of rituals or sacrifices. Even if God commanded you to do it, you know, God commands you to go to church. Have you ever seen people going to church and they're not paying attention? They're just sitting there, they're playing games on their phone, whatever. I see it, no, I'm kidding. <clears throat> but, you know, there's people who go through the motions, but they're not really connecting with the Lord. See, no number of sacrifices could substitute for obedience. Matter of fact, that's what, that's what Samuel said to Saul back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. It says, Samuel said, has the Lord has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of lambs. I don't know how many of you guys remember Keith Green, but whenever I hear that verse, I think of the songs that Keith Green used to sing. And he, one of them was like, to obey. He, he would play with such passion, pounding on the keyboard of that piano. And he'd be singing, to obey is better than sacrifice. I get the goosebumps remember those days. Powerful, powerful truths. We need to get this. God wants your heart, not just you to go through the motions. Matter of fact, David wrote about this in Psalm 51, verse 16. He says, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I'd give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Here's the thing. You could go through all the sacrifices and obey the law of Moses, but your heart's wrong with God. You're just going through the motions. But you can't fake a broken heart. See, it says a broken and contrite heart. You can't have a false, broken, and contrite heart. That's the real deal, okay? That's good stuff. Okay, and by the way, you're in the growth groups, I'm giving you more verses to look up concerning this and discuss it. There's good stuff, spiritual truths we need to understand here. Now, in, back in verse 9, I, we already covered this last week, but I'm going to skip a stone over some of this so that we can flow into today's text, which, which we're just covering a few verses. But I want to get the flow of this here. Back in verse 9, it says, Jesus says, I've come to do your will, okay? Uh, I've, I've come to do your will. Now, something, I didn't put this in the PowerPoint, so you're not going to see, see it up on the screen. You might want to write this verse down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, because when Jesus came to do the Father's will, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, and he says, this is the will of God your sanctification. And then he goes on to explain that you be holy and set apart, that you abstain from sexual sin. He goes over the things that make people not holy, not sanctified, not set apart. And so if the Father's will is that you are sanctified and made holy and living right with him, and Jesus came to do the Father's will, guess what? He didn't just die on the cross so you could be forgiven and keep living that way. He died on the cross so that you could be forgiven, clean, cleansed, and delivered from your sin and be changed. So we're going to talk about sanctification today. That, that word actually means being set apart for God. That we're not just, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That's, that's what we're going to talk about today. Sanctification and holiness. Now the second part of verse B, uh, verse B, 9B, I have in my notes 9B because it's the second part. Um, Let's see, let me look at it. It says, he takes away the first that he may establish the second. What, what the author here is saying by the Holy Spirit is that that's what the new covenant 
is to accomplish. That the focus is on the heart and a changed spirit, on being born again. The new covenant that, that fulfills the old covenant is through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Uh, he, he does what the first covenant could never do. And so the Jewish readers of Hebrews would get the message as we continue to go deep in this book. Why go back to the old covenant that, that's already been fulfilled and taken away? Why go back to the sacrifices that are inferior rather than the sacrifice of Christ that did it all once for all for you? Now, verse 10, and I know we're, today's text actually starts in verse 11, but I want you to see the flow here. Verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, and here's where we ended last week, once for all. You know, a brother asked me earlier today about different times that Jesus might have bled, like in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did that bloodshed cover these sins, and did the blood on the cross cover those sins? It was once for all, it was on the cross, folks. That's what the Bible teaches, okay? So be careful of all the strange teachings you run into out there. Um, verse 10 reminds us of the effectiveness of the better sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifices. See, believers have been set apart. And we use the word sanctified, but a lot of people don't get what that means. Really, we've got to get this in our head. We, you know, because we're Americans. Uh, I'm free. I'm a slave to no man. I'm an American. American, you know. I can do. Wait, wait, wait. In Christ, as a Christian... You've been bought with a price. You belong to him. And now your whole life, your hopes and dreams, your plans, your vocation, your gifts, everything has been set apart unto him. And, and that's the way we're supposed to live. And, and so be, through Christ's sacrifice once for all, he did what all the sacrifices of the old covenant couldn't do. And the old covenant worshipers, they had to be purified repeatedly through ceremonial, uh, from ceremonial defilement. It was a repeated thing. They were kind of going in circles. But the new covenant saint is set apart finally and completely in Christ. Never needing a new sacrifice. Do you think about that? See the major difference? In Christ, he died once. We don't have to go, oh, I sinned. Jesus, will you die again? No. <laughs> that one sacrifice did it all. He doesn't have to keep dying for you. And, and just as when we sin, now we confess our sins and we look back to the cross and realize that our sins are covered at the cross, the Old Testament saints, every time they did a sacrifice, it was actually shadows of things to come. It was a picture of the one sacrifice to, that would come, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, that would cleanse them. Now, they, they weren't singing as clearly as we do. You know, hindsight is better. Then they, they didn't realize it was all shadows and pictures pointing to Jesus. And, and now we're perfected. We're complete. Now this is kind of hard for some of us to grasp. Well, I'm not perfect. Well, in God's eyes, mm, ding, you're perfect, okay? Now, let's look at today's text. Just a few verses. Verse 11 says this. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. We could take some time to look at this because there's a whole lot happening right here in these two verses. There's two important things I want, I want you to get right away. First of all, there's the plurality of priests 
performing unending sacrifices repeatedly in the Old Covenant. And the priestly office itself was being replaced all the time. When the old priest died, a new priest comes in. And it was always changing. And, and these, in verse 11, these repeated same sacrifices, according to verse 11, could never take away sins. Look at that right there. Which can never take away sins. Remember I told you, in the Hebrew, the word for atonement is kofar. Which means, it's kind of like what it sounds like, kafir. In the, in the Hebrew, kofar, the offerings were a covering for sin. And Christ doesn't just cover. He takes away, removes, and delivers us from our sin. Now, uh, these sacrifices kind of treated these Old Testament Jews like a patient who continually needed the medicine. Go back to the temple, go back to the motion, go back to the sacrifice, go back to, in, in circles. And they keep, keep you going on and on like, like you got to keep taking the medicine or you're going to die. And I pointed out in previous messages how there were some Christian religions today who do the repeating of the, of the sacrifices like in the mass. We talked about that. It's, it's not a healthy view because that's not what Hebrews teaches. Uh, Jesus died for us once for all. We don't have to keep repeating it over and over again. Now, here's your next fill-in. What tens of thousands of animal sacrifices could not accomplish, Jesus accomplished with one sacrifice forever. You might have been able to guess those words, but it's powerful. What tens of thousands of animal sacrifices could not accomplish, Jesus accomplished with one sacrifice forever. I like that. You know, it's funny because a lot of people love their religion. Oh, I love my religion. And, you know, I guess I could say I love my religious beliefs. But I don't want to just love my religious beliefs because they make me feel good. I want to love my religious beliefs because they're true. <laughs> and they point to the one who is true, the only one who is true. So I told you there's two things I want you to see. The first thing in these two verses is the plurality of these priests and the unending, ongoing sacrifices <clears throat> as opposed to the one for all sacrifice. Now the second thing I want you to catch in those two verses, and the priests in the Old Testament, according to Hebrews 10, 11, were constantly standing. Remember we went over the furniture in the temple and all, you know, the, the, the table of showbread and the candle, the, the, the incense and all the different things they have. They had all kinds of furniture, but no chairs. Well, there was a thing called the mercy seat, but that wasn't for you to sit on, okay? And there were no chairs because the priestly work of the Old Covenant was never done. They were always sacrificing, always doing their work. But the differences that we saw between verse 11 and 10, it's, excuse me, 11 and 12, verse 12 says, but this man, speaking of Jesus, has had, he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, and he sat at the right hand of God. You know, you don't sit down until your work is finished, you know? Of course, I, I know some people work sitting down at your work from home. It's not like that, okay? Uh, Christ sat because his work was finished. And by the way, his work, his atoning work is finished. His sacrifice is finished. But the Bible teaches us that he's still uh, working, he's interceding on our behalf. He's, he's representing us before God, doing a work of intercession. And that ministry flows, the ministry of intercession, flows from his completed work on the cross. And now he could sit. Uh, funny, I like the way, as I told you, I like to look at 
different translations and paraphrases. I found a paraphrase that, that puts these two verses in a very unusual way. Listen to this. One paraphrase puts it like this. Every priest goes to work at the altar each day offering the same old sacrifices year in, year out, and never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. He sat down right beside God. I like that. So I, I love technology that we can pull up all these multi-paraphrases and, and translations. Now, but don't miss this, and I've read it several times. I hope you didn't miss it. Where Jesus is sitting. It says in verse 12 that he sat down at the right hand of God. Now that is actually, if you know uh, just ancient culture, when somebody sits at the right hand of a king or the right hand of a dictator or ruler, you're standing in a place of authority and a place of honor. You know, everyone else around the throne of God will be on their knees. Jesus sits. You don't sit in the presence of royalty. You kneel. Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And Jesus made this very claim at his trial before his crucifixion. Matter of fact, that's what got him in trouble, among other things. Uh, back in Mark chapter 14, verse 61, the high priest is questioning him. And it says again, the high priest asked him, saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, listen to this, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with, with the clouds of heaven. Well, that just flipped the high priest out. And the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further do we need to have witnesses? We don't need to interrogate this guy anymore. You've heard this blasphemy. They considered that statement blasphemy because he was making himself equal with God. And he says, what do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. That was the, that was the turning point. That was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. When they, were, they had him on trial, because that's it. He needs to die. That's why they killed him. Because he made a claim to deity that he sat at the right hand, the power on high, the right hand of God. Matter of fact, in, uh, verse 13 goes on to say, from, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Now, I hope you're going to see why I'm moving slow today. Because first you need to see where he's sitting, his authority, his position, his power. But secondly, you need to see what, what he's doing while he's waiting there. <clears throat> he's waiting for the job to be finished. Remember I said, we're saved, we're being saved, we will be saved. He's waiting for the finished product when all of the enemies of God are put under his feet, when even death itself is destroyed. As a matter of fact, verse 13 is a quote from Psalm 110, uh, verse 1 through 4. Let me just read to you that. And here it is again from the New Living. The Lord said to my Lord, which I, I capitalized that, that I, I underlined it there. See, this is David, who was king when he wrote this. And he's writing this psalm and he said, The Lord said to my Lord. Lord God Almighty said to the one that's over me. So he's actually giving you a hint of the triune God. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand. Until I humble your enemies and make them a footstool under your feet. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. And you will rule over your enemies. When you go to war, your people will serve you willingly. And you are arrayed in holy garments. And your strength will be renewed each day like the morning dew. This is all prophetic from David long before Christ came in the flesh. It goes on to say in verse 4, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever 
in the order of Melchizedek. One of the reasons I wanted to read all the way to verse 4, I want you to see the context of this. We've been studying Melchizedek. And I think five times already in Hebrews we've looked at Melchizedek and how Jesus is from the order of Melchizedek. And, and even the Apostle Paul kind of alluding to Christ waiting for his enemies to put under his feet. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Meaning, not God the Father. God the Father isn't under God the Son. Even in the Godhead, by the way, there's an authority structure. I was pointing this out at a wedding I did yesterday that uh, just as uh, there's a husband and wife and the husband is the head of the home as Christ is the head of the church and, and Paul said that uh, God is the head of, uh, of Christ and Christ is the head of man and man is the head of woman. There's authority structure everywhere. But it doesn't, it's not demeaning. It's not like, well, uh, in my house, you mean my husband is the head of the house? You know what? Think about it. In the triune, in the Trinity, God the Father is the head of the Son in the Trinity. It's an equality, unity, authority structure thing that makes things work. Okay? Anyway, see, I'm going to try to repeat what I taught at the wedding. Stop. Move forward. It says here, when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who puts all things under him is accepted, meaning God the Father is not under God the Son. Now when all things are made subject to him, the Son himself will also be subject to him who puts all things under him, that God may be all in all. I hope this doesn't freak you out, because we've taught many times that Jesus is God, and yet we see in the scriptures that when all is said and done, everything is going to be submitted to Jesus, and Jesus is going to submit everything to his Father, and God will be all in all. God will be in control. It shouldn't trip you out. It shouldn't confuse you or stumble you. Insult God by saying, it's not enough. It is indeed enough. Jesus died for you, and it is enough to cleanse any sin. So when we have communion, I want you to take whatever you're struggling with and pour it before the Lord and put it at the feet of Jesus. And that Jesus... hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.